2: Everybody, welcome to the Roundtable. My name is Robert Bannon. Thank you for listening to us on the Broadway Podcast Network, or if you're watching us on YouTube. It's exciting to be here with you. You know, I love behind-the-scenes stories. I don't know about you, but I grew up in the supermarket with the National Enquirer. Not the ones with, like, the presidents and Alien. Not that one. But, like, who is Liz Taylor with? You know, who? where are the gays in Hollywood? And as i become gay, the answer is they're everywhere. And Shelly is here. And, you know, Shelly... Herman is a writer, Emmy-nominated. We watched all of her game shows. I love Supermarket Sweep. I hope she wrote all of the end, you know, the little limericks and the little poems. I hope Shelly wrote them because she could rhyme things like ketchup with what's up and eggs with whatever, you know, she's better at rhyming and writing than I am. So Shelly Herman is here. She has a book, I worked on SNL for a, a while, and the pages of the of the NBC world and the, the tours and the, the right-hand people of NBC, that's where she got her start. She's spilling all the tea with her new book called My Peacock Tales. Shelly Herman is here.
0: Hey there. She, hi. Um, <laughs> um, it, it's very interesting how you, you mentioned the fact of being gay because- Back in the day when I was working at NBC, I want to say it was inclusive before people knew we needed to be inclusive. And we never had any kind of an issue with anybody's sexuality or how they identified with themselves. It is still a group of friends 40 plus years later who are like my family. So um, yay! I'm glad you brought that up because that's something nobody's mentioned before about how how wonderfully inclusive and diverse our page staff was back in 1976.
2: Wow! When a lot of the people live, were not able to live their truth in the public eye, you were oh, your group of people never never mattered with the people that you were friends with in the community.
0: It the only thing that mattered was um, there was sexual harassment for women and for men back then, and of course. It wasn't talked about until I wrote my book and people started telling me different things that, you know, different people who approached them. Uh, one of our pages was in a limousine with a very famous director taking him to the airport and this director wanted to take Jeff for a ride. So um, <laughs> there's there's stories like that too that are in the book. So, so men and women had their Me Too moments uh, back then.
2: Absolutely. Well, while we're talking about it, you can go, everyone can go to mypeacocktail.com or you can grab the book, My Peacocktail, wherever books are sold. You can go and get it in your in a day, you know, go online and order it and get it delivered. It looks like this. It's my secrets of an NBC page, the, the, <laughs> one, and only, the one and only Johnny Carson. So before we get ahead of ourselves, told me before we started, you're from Philadelphia. So you're East Coast like me but is a long trip from Philadelphia. So at what age and stage did you say showbiz entertainment is where I'm supposed to be. And I'm going to make the jump and go.
0: Well, I kind of didn't know anything, any different. I mean, my dad in, in Philly was a cab driver, came out to California, was a bartender. Mom was a stay at home mom. And she just lived on photo play magazines. And, um, I hadn't realized how much that had influenced me until I had asked her one day, you know, I really don't remember the talk we had when you said you and dad were getting a divorce and she kind of snickered to herself a little bit. And she said to me that she told me as I was on my way to school one day that she and dad were divorcing and I broke out in tears. And I said, nobody in my kindergarten class is divorced. The only people I know divorced are Debbie and Eddie. Debbie Reynolds, Eddie Fisher on her photo play magazines. So I just kind of thought these people were family, seeing all the pictures around. So I guess I realized at an early age that that's what got my mother's attention. And that's that she loved that maybe if I went in that direction that uh, that she would like me, she'd really, really like me.
2: And Academy Award or not, (laughs) you—I'm sure you
0: did. You're
2: my kind of people. i I get you. What? So you went—you go to LA and you—you—you go into showbiz. You grow up with—I mean, if you knew Eddie Fisher and Elizabeth Taylor and kindergarten, you were showbiz. You had it in your body and spirit. How did you get the job as a page? What was the process like to get hired by NBC at that time?
0: Well, I was very lucky because I grew up out in uh, Calabasas, Agora area, which was kind of a one horse town when I was there. But um, one of the kids that I went to school with got us tickets to see the Midnight Special, which was a late night rock concert show that was on NBC. And I saw these people standing around wearing these hideous uniforms and they were getting paid to listen to rock and roll music all day. And I thought, well, my only other job I'd had at that point was being a volunteer usher at the Valley Music Theater. So I thought, well, I have that for my resume. I should apply for the job. Little did I know that the NBC page program is one of the most coveted jobs to get as an entry-level position in the entertainment industry. And and the statistics that they they cite now, they say they get about 16,000 applications a year on their website, of which 2% are actually thought of and taken into consideration and you have to send in your resume and a video and a pint of blood, your firstborn child. I mean, it's, it's quite a process. And then if you're lucky enough to get an in-person interview, and I think this is really great that NBC is doing this, they will fly you to either Los Angeles or to New York on their dime so that they can meet you in person. And then if you get in, you have 18 months to meet everybody you can, hang with anybody you can, so you can get that next leg up in the entertainment industry.
2: That's what I was going to ask you. Is the purpose from NBC to just have labor? Or is the purpose, is this their way of almost a mentorship program where you can build connections? Were there strict rules? Were you allowed to talk to famous people? Like
0: What, what was the story? Our big rules back in the day where you had to have breath mints, a cigarette lighter, and a pen in your pocket. And you needed to wear closed-toe shoes. Uh, And with that, we were off and running. Uh, Most of us had our college degrees by that point. Um, I kind of got in under the wire. Um, There had just been a NABIT union strike, and they were short of people. So I got in while I was still in college. Having met a girl on a road trip to see Elvis in Las Vegas, more of that in the book. But because I met this girl, her mother's Fred worked at NBC, I got in. I mean, the odds of getting into the page program, um, it's easier to get into Harvard than to be a page at NBC. And I'm not like a smarty pants person, so I never would have gotten into Harvard. So we were just told certain things. I mean, we were, we were NBC's ambassadors. So we were working as liaisons with management and talent. And most of the time, I, I really can't think of any time off the top of my head when talent wasn't happy to see us because they knew we were going to protect them. And we had their backs and, you know, we'd, we'd carry their garment bags. We'd get them to their dressing rooms if if they needed a phone, if, if they needed a beverage, whatever it was, we would get them there and make their friends who were with them comfortable, too.
2: Well, you in the book, you names a bunch of names. You don't keep much um in, you know, you don't keep much confidential. You you give some good tea and gossip and, you, you know, come that's what we want. That's what we want. Kelly. So my question to you is, do you remember the first celebrity you ran into when you were on the lot out there in NBC and what was your reaction? And was there someone in particular that stopped you, that star struck you through this
1: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As a page.
0: Well, the first celebrity I remember meeting, I, I didn't know she was a celebrity at the time. Um, I saw this woman carrying a garment bag and, and she had the big rollers in her hair and the scarf and, and the dark glasses. And she was like this big around. And um, so I helped her carry the garment bag over to where they were doing Hollywood Squares. And I looked on the dressing room door as I dropped the stuff off and it was Janet Lee. And when she came out of her dressing room with her hair done and the makeup and everything, yeah, there was Janet Lee. So that was the first one. Um, Having to say who just like stopped me dead in my tracks. um, I tend to be somebody who politically and socially is a very liberal person. I gotta say John Wayne. I mean, wow, I mean, I that's not somebody I would normally think I would have been impressed by, but he was so kind and um, he was ill at the time. And he was there doing some work on an NBC special and he came out and greeted the tourists and shook hands. And I just thought that was so gracious of him. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, Bob Hope, Johnny Carson, Dick Clark. there was another encounter that that kind of I get teary-eyed thinking about it now. There was a woman uh, comedian named Tody Fields,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and
2: the, the scent in her hat, like she right, she would wear the.
0: I'm not sure. Well, that was Minnie. I think in Minnie Pearl. Oh, no. But Tody, yep. okay, all right. Actually, met Minnie Pearl too, but that was many years later. But uh, Tody was a heavyset comic, kind of like a female Don Rickles. She kind of had that bulldog attitude. And Todi had uh, gone in for plastic surgery against all her doctor's wishes because she was diabetic. And as a result, she had to have a leg amputated. And this woman was a very, very beloved woman in this town. And when she was well enough, she was invited to be on Hollywood Squares. And they brought her in and she was in a wheelchair, but she, her hair was done and she was all put together. And they got her out, and they wheeled her down the hallway into the studio, and everybody just stood there and clapped for her. And she's weeping; I'm weeping. Um, it was just one of those really wonderful moments that I, you know I'll never experience something like that again. It was um, very touching.
2: So, what was your that's a beautiful story? What was your day to day life? That what shows were filmed there? What was your job when you showed up
0: to work? Well, the shows that were filmed there primarily taped. Uh, at the time I was there, um, on, it's, on stage one was the tonight show with Johnny Carson. Uh, usually on two, there would be, um, Sanford and son or any of the game shows like Hollywood squares, password was being done there on, uh, two was midnight special. All the big variety shows were done on stage four. So, um, Van Dyke and company was there. Chico and the man with uh, Freddie Prinze was, was done there at the time I was there. Lots and lots of TV specials. Um, in the book, I talk about a time when when one of the pages who was answering the phone in the hallway, that was one of our jobs, we would be assigned to a TV show. And um, one of the big no-nos in show business is you never interrupt a taping, you know, unless the building's on fire. You just don't interrupt a taping. And my friend Jim got a phone call while working on a Johnny Cash special from the governor of Utah. And he said, may I speak to Johnny Cash, please? I'm calling because Gary Gilmore is about to be executed and wants to talk to Johnny Cash. So Jim runs into the studio and he's like, stop the tape, stop the tape. And everybody's like, what, what? And he whispers in Johnny Cash's ear. Johnny sets his guitar down, walks out in the hallway, holds up taping for 45 minutes because it seems that uh, Gary Gilmore... And Johnny Cash had been talking before and praying with each other. And this was his last request to talk to Johnny Cash. And when the taping resumed at the studio, Johnny had everybody have a moment of silence when they knew that Gary was about to be executed. Ooh. I know. I know that's not your typical day at Sears, which is where I worked before I got my job at NBC. (laughs) Oh, seriously. I worked at NBC in uh, what they call the Junior Bazaar Department, and they sold like these polyester maternity frocks that had like a little pattern on them, but when you got close to it, the clothing said, "I'm a happy hippo." And oh. that was maternity blouse.
2: <laughs> I think NBC was probably a, a good a good time. So let me ask you about the Tonight Show and Johnny, much has been written and spoken about. You know, I, was born in eighty three. My my father was obsessed with Carson. We bought the DVDs and the VHSs and the best moments because they didn't have YouTube back then and you could not catch these highlights of these moments that that we can now take advantage and take for granted. What was Johnny being there like? And a lot has been written about Ed and Johnny and the partying and the doc and the and the people and the environment. What was it like to be in the, you know, the most famous party in the world every single day?
0: well and it it was a very electrifying atmosphere because as much as we would try to make the tours interesting around the building and and try to coerce people into coming to marginal tv shows that were being taped at the time if somebody had a ticket to the tonight show that was like the highlight of their day and we wanted to make it a great experience for them so if i was lucky enough to get the one o'clock tour i knew exactly where to have my tour stand when Johnny got out of his Corvette to come into the studio. And, you know, he wasn't wearing a suit and tie or anything. So it's almost like when you see your school teacher in the supermarket and you go, Oh, that's, so that was kind of fun for them too. And he would usually say something like, you know, get your money back. The tour is a rip off. And you know, everybody would just love that. He would go uh, upstairs to his office, which at the time overlooked Alameda Avenue and there was like a big glass picture window. So He could see out because everything else was so enclosed. They later had to change that office for him because as the world got scarier, they thought that terrorist wise, it wouldn't be a good idea to have a big picture window there because Johnny would be susceptible to, you know, being injured by people that way. So they then moved him downstairs to what was our subterranean page lounge. They converted that for Johnny's office and it had a secret doorway in it the secret doorway is where he left on the very last show. So when he bid goodbye to everybody, um, he went down to the office and he snuck out a secret tunnel that led to another building that led to where the helipad was. And he got into his helicopter with his wife and they flew to his house in Malibu. And there was a big party that had been planned with Les Brown and the band of renowned and about 200 people. And it was the, the final goodbye party for Johnny but I digress, Um, the taping of the show ran like clockwork. We started the same time every day. At first it was a 90 minute show, then it got cut back to 60 minutes, but Johnny Carson was out the door 10 minutes after the show was done. Uh, Not that he didn't care, but he was done. And he had started working like first thing in the morning at his house, he would be writing his monologue there, talking with the, the other writers on the show, and, you know, saying like, you know, hey, uh, you know, Jimmy Carter did something stupid today, write jokes about that, or Ronald Reagan air traffic controllers or something. But once he got to the studio, he he figured out where all the jokes would go. They'd write them on cue cards, not verbatim, but just kind of keywords so that he could say them and it would sound natural. And I didn't get to see much of that because my job was to have my back turned to johnny while he was doing the monologue and to keep a lookout in the audience to see if anybody was going to rush the stage or had a weapon or Mm -hmm. was going to be disruptive so for as many times as i was at the tonight show i i didn't see it that much Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: You were a young person in the world, and you were with the responsibility. I read some of the press release uh for the book. Like, for security, like a bodyguard. But you're not a bodyguard.
0: No. <laughs> and I- we didn't have like the metal detectors or, or they weren't looking through people's purses and backpacks uh, back in the day. Again, a little simpler of a time, yes. but other people did things that helped us too. I mean, there was a time when we were taping a, a variety show for Richard Pryor and it's detailed in the book more, but it was, it was a mess because as one of the pages said, they must've flown over LA in a helicopter and dropped tickets. To the show because it was an overwhelming crowd people waited five hours in line because richard wasn't feeling well to tape yet and then when they started to load the audience in richard said he just wanted to have black people sit in the first three rows because with the bright studio lights you really can't see the whole audience but he wanted to see what he considered to be friendly faces in the first three rows so his friend paul moody Smart man, because this could have been a very, very scary riot or something going on here with, with people. He went to the back of the line and started pulling people out and seating them inside so that the people up front who'd been waiting for five hours didn't realize what was going on. So so Paul helped us a lot. Conversely, when the Bay City Rollers were doing Midnight special. Uh, they gave the pages just a rope to hold on to, to try to keep the girls off the stage and try. And, and at one point, the pages, one of the, the page supervisors just said, drop the rope. Let's get out of here. And uh, they, they I mean one of the girls got punched in the eye. Uh, my friend Jim had said to me, you know, he, I said they put out an APB, an all page bulletin, and we all ran to try to help. And I'm like five foot nothing, 110 pounds. And Jim stands in front of the door and says, don't go in there. You'll get killed. So, you know, the production company didn't help us that time. Uh, But um, no, the police came and made a report. It was it was fine later.
2: Uh, It was, of course, it was fine later. But as we're talking, make sure you go to the website, mypeacocktail.com or go order the book while we're talking about it. And you could read and get the full scoop, the full in-depth stories of all of these stories. So. I, I, there's some story about looking for Frank Sinatra. Is that, is that a story?
0: That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I tend to befriend senior citizens. I didn't have grandparents growing up, so Mm -hmm. I, there's a place in my heart for them. And there was a lady named Sadie O'Sullivan who would come to all the tapings of Hollywood Squares and Sanford and Son. Uh, Red Fox thought that she was his good luck charm. And every once in a while he'd slip her like a hundred bucks and it was really sweet. And she was in her 80s when, when I met her. Uh, she asked me oh, while we were waiting online what all the hubbub was going on at you know, the Tonight Show. And I said, oh, Frank Sinatra's there. And she said, you know, Frank bailed me out of jail once. And I said, oh, tell me about that, Sadie. And even though her last name is O'Sullivan, she was, uh, she was a Jewish woman who made a mistake and married an Irishman, as she said. Uh, so she never gave up the O'Sullivan name, but she saw that there was going to be a luncheon for the American Nazi party at a hotel in her neighborhood. So she went over to that Nazi luncheon and hit a Nazi with her purse and got arrested. So while she's in the prison getting processed, um, they said, okay, Sadie, you can go. And she says, well, nobody knows I'm here. He says, well, your bail has been posted. And she got a telegram that said, way to go, Sadie, love Francis Albert. Frank Sinatra, Francis Albert Sinatra. So she said, I never had a chance to thank Frank for bailing me out of jail. So again, okay, you're not supposed to disturb the talent or interfere with anything. But just before Red Fox is ready to go on to tape Sanford and Son, I knocked on his dressing room door. And I don't think he expected to see a perky little page and he kind of looked at me and I told him the Sadie Sinatra story. He stopped the taping of his show, took Sadie backstage to meet Frank. She was able to thank him, get an autograph, go on her merry way and um I gave her that moment. And and so did Red for that matter. I'll give him credit for that too. Those these stories are
2: incredible cuz it's it is a time gone gone by. You know these are icons that will live forever and ever and the biggest stars of, 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 in history are literally all detailed in your book from your experience there. And I'm sure you have more Rat Packers and A-list stars and and more, you know, if you're talking about Password, Hollywood Squares, The Tonight Show, everyone who's anyone in in showbiz walked through those doors and, and you saw them. What was the transition like when it ended? What was your goal in Los Angeles, in LA, in, in this business? And then how did you get there? And did the page program Help you make the connections that it said it was going to.
0: Absolutely, um, my goal was to keep working. That was that was that was my main goal. I I don't know if I was totally focused at that point. Um, the next job I got off the page staff was working as an assistant to one of the vice presidents, and um, the way I got that job was I was working as a page and I thought maybe I should learn shorthand because it seemed like, you know, everybody that got ahead in this world knew shorthand. And I took a class for two days and I was pathetic. And I was sitting at the desk and I was crying and this woman comes up to me, Janet Greek. And uh, I told her that, you know, I'll never be an executive, I don't know shorthand. And she said, if you don't wanna do something for a living, never learn how to do it. And that to me was mind blowing because it, it meant I had choices that I didn't have to do all the things that we were told girls how to do to get ahead and showbiz. So she got me a job with this man named Chuck Gerber, who she was dating at the time. And she figured if I was his assistant, that I could like hear if any girls were calling him or find out what his calendar was. And I could clue her in if he was cheating on her. So that's how I got my, my first job off the staff. I then later got jobs. um, I was working at Lorimar at the time when they had the whole who shot Jr." stuff going on on the show Dallas. And um, one man that I had met in the hallway at NBC, I just thought he was like a a poor schlub of a guy. And it turned out he was a big shot manager by the name of Jay Bernstein. And Jay handled Farrah Fawcett, Suzanne Somers, Linda Evans, like all the, the hot blondes. And years later, when I was looking for a job, I called Jay and he'd remembered me from being a page and I got a job with him. And what I realized as I kind of circumnavigated the entertainment industry, eventually landing primarily working with daytime and game shows is I learned as much of what to do as a page as what not to do. Mm. And those are the lessons they don't teach you in college. You know, you really, it's a school of hard knocks and polyester.
2: <laughs> no, you, you really got that firsthand experience, you know, you, that you can't teach somebody to get up and to be in these situations. When you, you made the transition to be a writer on daytime and to game shows, I talked about Supermarket Sweep. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've done and accomplished in your career?
0: Well, I did get nominated for an Emmy award, meaning I lost. So um, I imagine- <laughs> The obituary will say Emmy loser, Shelly Herman dies. Um, there's, that, there's that distinction. Um, and you were curious about Supermarket Sweep. And um, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of inside scoop on that. We built a real supermarket on the stage. Uh, actually, we taped it at NBC, even though it was a syndicated show, um, in the space eventually that Jay Leno did The Tonight Show and Ellen DeGeneres did her show. Uh, that was the studio we used. Everything in the supermarket was real to the point that we had to be careful with the things that were perishable because they'd get cockroaches in them. And then in the case of the laundry soap, um, because people kept breaking the container that the the powdered laundry soap was in um, and it started getting expensive to replace that, uh, they started filling it with rice because rice was cheaper to fill it with, to get the right heft for it. And then um, I guess they sold all the supermarket stuff off to like a wholesaler someplace and somebody put the laundry soap in their washing machine and it got all clogged up because of the rice and everything. So after that, we couldn't sell our stuff afterward to people, you know, we just had, we had to get rid of it for safety reasons.
2: So did you write the the some of the, the the rhyming clues that
0: got you your big winnings wrote the rhyming clue wrote the puzzles at the beginning of the game i mean the whole idea of supermarket sweep it wasn't supposed to be like jeopardy you know it wasn't supposed to be a brain buster that way we wanted people to accumulate time because the whole point of that show was to run around the supermarket with that cart doing your hunting and gathering oh here's another secret um in the section that had all the meat and the chicken and the ham and the pork, all of that was fake. And the reason for that is when they did supermarket sweep in its first incarnation in the late sixties, and they had ladies running around with their pearls and high heels with their, you know, doing the, the shopping, when they would pick up the packages of meat, the, the juices would get all over their clothes and it would start to get a little uh, stinky after a while from having all the meat in there. So. Al Howard, who created the show, went down to Mexico and had um, fake meats and chickens and, you know, wings and legs and things made up so that they could be reused over and over again and not, you know, damage people's clothing.
2: This is fascinating to me,
0: Shelley. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also the sweeps themselves, even though they were done live to time, we had like five different camera people around this supermarket shooting it and we edited that down to what you eventually saw as the sweep and then um, the announcer Randy West would come in and he'd be at a post production facility and he would um, we, i would write the script for what Randy was to say and there were certain language that Al Howard the the owner of the show liked he went down for Bartoli uh, Bartoli oil and came up with you know so there were certain phrases that he wanted to have be repetitive to keep with the rhythm of the show and the identification of the show, so um, I so I would I would screen all the, the the sweeps and then write the copy for them, and uh, and there and yes there is a blooper reel, <laughs> a lot of people falling down and their and their polyester pants coming off and yeah there's a lot of that people crashing into each other and cussing and yeah. Wait, is that mean? There's a, a sequel to the book? Is there is there a part two ready to come out? Doll, this is what I want. I want there to be a streaming TV series because there are so many stories. And you know, think about it: is we were a bunch of twenty-somethings who came from all over the United States with different life experiences, all kind of being thrust together in this rarefied atmosphere. And we kind of just had to take care of ourselves, and and hopefully do a good job. And you know, some of the people didn't stay in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Some did. Some had massive careers off of it. I mean, back in the day when the page staff first started, oh. Chuck, Chuck Barris was a page, Hugh Downs, Regis, Aubrey Plaza recently was a page. And this year we're celebrating our 90th anniversary of the NBC page program. So it's, it's a very reputable program. Anybody interested in getting into the industry, I I ask that you look into it. It might be your way in.
2: It, it very well may be your way Thank in. It you. sure was for you. So I, When I I find this on a smaller scale, and I'm sure you have this on a much larger scale. I've been very lucky since the pandemic to host this show, to do red carpets, to speak to some very famous fancy people. And it's very hard when you turn on television or you're walking in the store and you see a magazine cover or you go to the movies and you see someone you got to interview or talk to or know, or for me doing a show mostly about Broadway, going to a Broadway show and saying, oh, this person... It feels like make believe. It feels like you're telling the truth in your life and it cannot be real. How often are you with your friends and you say, am I really, is this really my life? Am I really, this really happened to me? You must see people or people pass away or people have news and you know them, you've
0: spent time with them. You
2: have a story that goes with everyone.
0: Well, it's kind of the reason why I wrote the book because with this core group of people We've heard each stories, each other stories for decades, and then when the pandemic hit and we were able to get on Zoom and and connect with some of our friends who had moved out of California, the stories kind of started getting fleshed out more and came together. It's like I had a Freddie Prinz experience, two other girls did, and suddenly there was more to know about Freddie than any of us knew, you know, by ourselves. Um, to say. I ever got blase about it? No, that was that was never the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when you wake up one morning and you're backstage at the 1977 Emmy Awards, having just escorted my comedy heroes Sid Caesar and Emma Jean Coca to be standing backstage when John Travolta is coming off stage sobbing, having just received an Emmy Award for his late girlfriend, to um, having Suzanne Plachette. Give one of the other actors the name of her dentist who gave her who did her caps, uh, to thinking your day was done and you are all done with the show, only to be escorting Alfred Hitchcock backstage. Um, no, all of this, all of this is something we cherish, and um, we're we're very protective of the page program. And we weren't just ushers, we weren't just tour guides. We really were the ambassadors.
2: It's a beautiful legacy and it's a beautiful love letter to this program and all of the opportunities it's afforded so many people. So everyone, you need to go order yourself a copy of the book. If you're a fan of showbiz Hollywood stories and what what it's like to really be there and be behind the scenes, you need to go to the website, mypeacocktail.com or order the book wherever books are sold. Shelly. You're a pleasure. Oh, my goodness. What a! you gave me this inside scoop, not only on The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson, Frank Sinatra, but on Supermarket Sweep, which I have to call my brother and tell him all of what you just said. <laughs> that was our show.
0: Well, doll, give my regards to Broadway because yeah. uh, <laughs> that, that is also a big love of mine. And I, and I hope to get back to New York soon to to see some shows and maybe sell some books.
2: Well, you come to New York, then we're going to meet up and I'm going to take you to lunch and we'll see a matinee. And then I'll get all the scoop that you couldn't put in the book. <laughs> I'll tell you real names of people. Yeah, I'm ready. Uh-oh. <laughs> Thank you so much. Congratulations. I'm looking forward to so much more.
0: Take care and continued
2: success. Thank you so much. How fun is that? Start a book club, read about this and all this, the hubbub. You know, I love some news and some gossip. I'm a little bit of a wash woman. So but not with your stuff. No, no, not with you listening. Not, no, never. No, I wouldn't talk about what we, you know what I'm saying. Thank you for being here, everybody. Thank you to Shelly. Thank you to my friend, Lori DeWall, who, uh, who set this up. She's a wonderful and great publicist. I'm so grateful to the team of people who trust us with their stories, trust us to tell these stories and uh, be a part of it all. You can continue to watch us find me at RobertBannon.com or follow me at Robert M. Bannon. I have a new album coming out. I have a Christmas show in New York. I have more interviews. I do I do not keep it quiet and restful. We keep working. Um I turn 40 October 31st. Come celebrate that with me on October 30th at William Patterson University. I'll be with Cheetah Rivera. All the information is on my website. So go to RobertPannon.com. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being here. God bless you. I appreciate you all. And um, you know what they say. Until next time, this is the roundtable. I'll see you all again so soon. Bye, everybody.